This is episode 48 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. So today is February 14th. It's Valentine's Day, or uh, as I used to call it during my single days, happy VD, everyone. Uh, You know, this isn't relevant at all to the show. I just thought of it while I was reading the date during the opener. Um, Not this is not this is a tech show, not a love show. If you need dating advice, go. Well, for the love of God, don't use an app anyway. It is also and this is much more relevant. It is Reboot Tuesday. February 14th, the latest possible day during the month that uh, Reboot Tuesday could be, comes with 14 critical vulnerabilities patched in Windows Chromium-based browser alone, including patches for heap overflows, reads out of bounds, integer overflows, tampering and spoofing vulnerabilities, about half a dozen remote code exploits, and one patch that will permanently disable Internet Explorer 11 and the non-Chromium version of Edge. Uh, Users who still use the older browsers are, quote, encouraged to move to the new Chromium Edge because the older ones are no longer in support. You've probably already done that, though, because Microsoft took the liberty of changing all of your shortcuts to the built-in browser during previous updates. Um, I have a more personal tech story that uh, is bugging the hell out of me, and I just thought I'd bring it up here. And that is, uh, I'm worried about this podcasting 2.0 thing. There's a very specific thing that nobody else seems to be worried about. It's probably all just me. But at the moment, uh, I cannot use my lightning node. And the reason for that is um, for all of the uh, awesomeness, uh, you know, talking about uh, how everybody should be running nodes and everybody should be connected to lightning and this podcast value thing is definitely going to take off and everybody needs to use it all the time. Well, the, the thing that people are really pushing for and the thing that I'm trying to do unsuccessfully, if you want to look at somebody doing it successfully, go look at other podcasters like Sir Spencer, who uh, absolutely rocks this sort of thing. Um, I'm not doing a very good job of running my node, partly because I don't want to butts with it all the time. And that might be a prerequisite. Now there's a lot of services out there that are working great where you handle your node through a managed service and they handle all of the details of the, the hideous parts of the lightning network channels and everything. Um, There's a lot of talk about, you know, wanting decentralization and I'm definitely in favor of decentralization and going to a managed service is not a good way to do that. So I'm trying to do it the old way, but here's my current problem. And that is uh, I have been operating this node for more than a year now. Um, in order to connect to the lightning network, nodes have to be connected to each other by channels. And in order to connect, you know, in order to be able to receive funds, you need inbound channels. Inbound channels are initiated by the other end. You have to have somebody out there willing to stake a certain amount of their Bitcoin for the purpose of opening a channel to you. And I've been operating for a year or so on the generosity of a couple of the trolls and people here who have been very, uh, they were extremely kind and opened up channels to my node so that I could be receiving some donations through the system, the, the podcasting 2.0 value system. 
Um, a huge thanks and shout out to, uh, I believe, Sir Vo and Sir Spencer and uh, C-Dubs, who all opened up channels. The problem is those channels have been depleted. And I went and asked what I've never figured out from the very beginning of, of this podcasting 2.0 value experiment. I, I even I went out and asked on the podcasting 2.0 Mastodon and said, hey, what is if, if you are a podcaster who is running your own channel, not a not a, a hosted channel at one of the big services, your own. What is the technique? What are you supposed to do in order to get connected to other nodes? How do you get connected to the Lightning Network? And the answer that I got from Adam himself, so the Oracle, was, well, that's what the podcasting 2.0 node is for. Um, which, as far as answers go, wasn't very actionable, which was why I went and poked around and said, hey, does anybody know how I get channels set up? How do I set it? You know, I can I can initiate outbound channels, but that doesn't help me receive value. It just helps me send value, which is very nice. I mean, I, I like being generous, but it really wasn't useful to say, oh, that's what the podcasting 2.0 note is for when there was no instructions and no indication whatsoever. How do I make this happen? And I asked a follow up question at the time and said, hey, well, OK, how do I do it? Is there an application form? Is there something? And I got crickets in response. Well, this week, when I found out that after a year, my channels have been completely depleted and I am completely incapable of receiving any boosts because there's just no capacity remaining. I went and asked on there again, how do I get this? And the answer was, uh, you join a ring of fire. Well, OK, I'm not sure how that happens. When do I know something's being set up? If somebody knows, please let me know if somebody is forming one. I'd love to be to participate in it. The last time that a ring of fire came up for me. I didn't have the liquidity on my node at the time to actually join anything. I think I do now, but I don't know how they get started. I don't know who's doing it. Um, and the other was, uh, or you just ask here and post your node information. I, I, I don't, I hope that's not, I did in fact post my node address, but I hope it's not uh, too much of a problem. It's also in the RSS feed for this podcast. So maybe no big deal. Uh, but I posted my node address and said, yeah, does anybody, you know, anybody out there willing to help out? Crickets, of course, again. So that was a week ago. I am completely disconnected from the podcasting 2.0 value thing and wondering if maybe this thing needs a user manual or to be supported, or maybe if I just give up on making my own node because I'm getting, well, there's a little bit of frustration here because I'm really, I mean, it, it's obvious we're still, you know, two years into this project, we're still pretty new and not everything is working. But unless your name is Adam Curry, uh, you don't have people falling all over themselves to connect to your node. I'm not sure how to do it. I feel like that that might be an area that could be explored to improve the system. OK, anyway, enough whining about my personal stuff. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to call out in this opening segment is a get well shout out to one Darren O'Neill, who is my co-host on the other podcast. I do Grumpy Old Benz at GrumpyOldBenz.com. Uh, Darren is going through some medical stuff. Um, people started to realize it was really serious when he missed a rock and roll pre-show and he loves those things. So, uh, I want to, I want to send a lot of karma out to Darren who is, uh, uh, sp apparently spent some time in the ER. Um, all I'm saying is, uh, I'll just, I'll give you the same advice that I give my dog. Heal. <laughs> 
from the software you didn't know you wanted department. Let's talk about Windows. Windows 11 install is 20 gigabytes on disk. Uh, as, as somebody who started out, my first hard drive was, was 40 megabytes. 20 gigabytes seems a bit excessive. Uh, if you actually go to the Microsoft requirements page, they say the install requires 64 gigabytes, although you're crazy if you try to run it with less than twice that on the system partition. Trust me, I know. My C drive is 120 gigabytes and everything is taking a crap on it every time they try to install. Anyway, according to the page, it also requires four gigabytes of RAM, although again, uh, you need at least eight if you want your system to be responsive and 16 if you want to install a program like Chrome or use a browser. Uh, so a developer who goes by the name NT Dev uh, has announced that they have created something called Tiny 11, which fascinated me. This is a piece of software he claims, and I'm going by this person's claims. I didn't install this um, because I don't want Windows 11 regardless. But Tiny 11 is going to be eight gigabytes on disk and can run in only two gigabytes of RAM, they say. It contains a bare minimum of programs, uh, which include things like calculator, notepad, and paint. Uh, plus, it includes the Microsoft Store, so that if you need any of the extra crapware, you can install it from there. But it removes a lot of things that, that at least this person believes people don't need. Like, it removes .NET. Well, actually, that means anything built in C Sharp you're not going to be able to run. A lot of people are okay with that. Fine. It removes post-install drivers. It removes the component store, which is a critical part of uh, the bits of Microsoft that allow you to... Uh, if you've ever gone into the, the control panel and click on the add features or languages or things like that, and you click and, and suddenly it just turns on another feature of Windows, it's because even all of the features that you have disabled and turned off on a normal install of Windows are still in the component store, which uses up an immense amount of storage. But what it means is you can say, Oh yeah, just go turn on you go turn on remote desktop. Go turn on uh you know the give me give me Chinese language things like that which is extremely convenient for the cost of hard drive space. Um and probably the biggest thing about Tiny 11 that I really liked and kind of looking forward to is that it uses a local account which is something that Windows 11 has kind of disabled. Uh Windows 11 requires that you have a Microsoft account just to exist, I believe. And this one, they found a way to use a local account. Um, they do warn that things like widgets and uh, that use the Microsoft account don't work. For me, small price to pay, kind of intrigued. And if I wanted to go to Windows 11, it, it, that, that might be the way to go. Next, from the software you knew you didn't want department. While we're on the topic, Microsoft has announced that they're bringing a new feature to the Windows Store app. What's this new feature? Will it finally make the Windows Store intuitive and easy to navigate? No, of course not. Microsoft doesn't do that. The feature is... Ads. Ads will display during searches and as a banner in the Apps and Gaming tab within the store, the company's press release says. The feature page for the feature touts the ability to engage with people who use the Windows Store, which I guess is all six of them, and to track what users are doing across anywhere that your ad may be displayed, including whether the user clicked or downloaded your ad and what else was displayed on the page at the time. All of this is managed through the Microsoft Advertising Platform, which I guess is a dashboard for their ad stuff. Anyway, uh, the feature is obviously developer-focused. It allows you to, quote, engage directly with searchers. Uh, Microsoft reasons, I guess, I'm, I'm guessing here, that nobody uses the store because there aren't enough apps. 
Um, there aren't enough apps because developers don't see any benefits in publishing for yet another store, especially one with no users. So Microsoft is trying to draw in developers. But I guess the question I have is, will it drive users farther away? I can honestly say that this will not change how often I use the Windows 11 store. Again, I don't use I don't use Windows 11. And even if it even if I had a store on Windows 8, I would not use it. It's uh, I get my apps from anyway from other places. But for those of you on Windows 11, let me know. Send back a you know, ping me to tell me, will this change your behavior? I'm, I'm actually wondering, like to me, the very idea of putting ads into the operating system just drives me bonkers. But does any do do people mind is the, the level of ads that you get in Windows 11? Is that is that something people are OK with? I mean, obviously, people run it. Uh, is, is this the kind of thing that will cause you to use the store more often because you're going to get more relevant app recommendations because developers are going to be paying Microsoft for the benefit of putting their app in a banner in front of your uh, store? I Anyway, I, I mean, are Knowing that the anyway, Microsoft continues down the road of double dipping in Windows, uh, taking an OS that you paid for and monetizing it by putting ads into the UI. And I guess the question is, you think it'll work? From the software you get, whether you want it or not department, as long as we're talking about bloat, Android 14 preview one is here. Here's some of the more anticipated features. The ability to run multiple instances of an app. For example, to log into multiple accounts of the same social network so that you can get twice the addiction and twice the dopamine hits as one Facebook account. They have game controller support. They have a quote background app installation page, which is a settings page where you can see everything that was downloaded without permission and theoretically remove them from there, which I think is Google's attempt to fight against bloatware. Uh, they have a Health Connect app, which should hopefully be uninstallable via the background app installation page. They have the ability to restrict which images in an app that an app can access from your gallery, which actually is if, if you have to post a picture, it's kind of useful right now. If you want to post a picture to a social network, you have to give the social network full access to everything and every picture you've ever taken anywhere. And of course, you know, if it's an app, then they are downloading all of that and sending all of those pictures to the cloud to be indexed for an AI and eventually turned into deep fakes. They have some improved accessibility features, text scaling, hearing aid support. They have a new API to more properly handle gendered languages because we can't possibly have our OS misgendering words. They have a block on installation of all apps targeting SDK 23 or older. This is actually the controversial feature. Um, any it, the, the operating system is now getting a block. The operating, even through sideloading, you will not be able to install anything targeting the anything older than SDK 23, which is anything built for earlier than Android 6. Android 6 was 2015. This is not a huge deal, but if you have any eight year old apps on your phone, you will not be able to put them on Android 14. The reason Google gives is malware. Uh, the there's a lot of malware out there that even even stuff that's being written now that will target a very, very old version of the SDK so that it uses the back compat system in Android, which doesn't enforce a lot of app restrictions that lead to lower security. Hence why malware would use it. Um, this restriction only really affects you if you sideload apps. The Play Store has required that apps target 
Android 12 or newer for several months now, and they have a, a rolling minimum. So any app effectively that's over that hasn't been rebuilt to an SDK in the last two years gets hidden in the Play Store and you can't install it from there. You've always been able to sideload anything. Now you can't sideload anything really ancient. Um, this, of course, won't remove any existing app if you have installed. But if you are using one of those apps from 2015, you will never be able to install it again. Uh, Android 14 also has a bunch of behind the scenes improvements. Um, the uh, update 14 is currently in preview. Uh, preview one came out, I believe, this uh, last week. Uh, preview two should be soon. Uh, but if you are not the kind of person who goes out and seeks out previews, then expect it to be coming to an automatic update near you in early March. And from the software nobody wants department, all of these features come out to about 15 gigabytes. All the features I just talked about in the base Google Pixel 7 installation of Android, which, by the way, 15 gigabytes for Android 14 compared to 20 gigabytes for Windows 11. Oof, sorry, I think Windows does more. But you know who just can't stand to be outdone in the bloatware space? That would be Samsung. While researching the Android 14, article, I ran across another one that the Galaxy S23 uh, uh, system partition uses 60 gigabytes out of the box. That is nearly half of if you if you have a base level 128 gigabyte phone, that is nearly half of your storage used for the out of the box system partition. It's also almost three Windows 11 installs side by side. Go Samsung. What the heck are you filling all that space with? Oh. And of course, 128 is the base level. They have the gall to charge for upgrades if you actually want more space to use for, I don't know, yourself. Um, what is that filled up with? Well, mostly probably pre-installed crapware, um, much of which you can't uninstall. Uh, the, the Facebook app, uh, the, you know, a number of, I, I don't even remember the list. I, we did a Grumpy Old Benz on this uh, a few months back when I got my new Samsung, which was only the S21. and the number of apps that came pre-installed uh, most of which some of them I could uninstall the Facebook, believe it or not, I could uninstall, which was an improvement over my previous Samsung. But uh, the other thing that fills up space is Samsung's misguided tendency to re-implement every single system app and UI so that they can put their own Samsung branding on it. If you look, you know, for example, Samsung has the play store in the phone, but they also have the Samsung app store. Uh, they don't include Chrome in the operating system. They include the Samsung browser. They don't include, you know, they don't include the Google calculator. They include the Samsung calculator, which has the word Samsung on the page. Why do they have to re-implement this? I guess so that they can make it a Samsung phone and not an Android phone. I'm not sure. The thing that bugs me is that all of the Samsung bloatware, which is generally not considered high quality software, you can't uninstall any of it. Um, which means that uh, according to the article that I found, um, you start with 60 gigabytes of crap on your of system image on your phone. You can remove 18 gigabytes of that, which leaves, uh, what is that? 42 gigabytes of stuff that Samsung will not let you uninstall. All I can say there is thank God for the Android dev tools. <laughs> From the writing the spiral department, uh, I have a quick follow up on last week's speculation heavy story on Netflix's crackdown on password sharing. 
Uh, this one came from a February 8th blog post from Cheng Yi Long, uh, the director of product innovation at Netflix. Uh, the new restrictions on Netflix, Netflix has, as reported on uh, ATN 47, Netflix has implemented a bunch of restrictions that we are aimed to prevent you from sharing your password. These restrictions were already trialed in Latin America, uh, three countries, Costa Rica, uh, something else I can't remember. This is why I have notes, but they have expanded where this is implemented and clarified what, uh, how some of it works. They've expanded it to Portugal, Spain, New Zealand, and Canada, all of which are now under these current account restrictions in Netflix. Uh, the first one they mention is that you have to set your quote primary location for your account. Uh, you can do this from your home Wi-Fi, they say, and if you need help doing it, uh, you can call Netflix support and they will help you do that. So apparently it's a little bit difficult to do, I guess, uh, or people are having trouble. So they had to point out that you need that Netflix has a help desk. Their help desk, as far as help desk go, is not completely useless. Maybe 60%. Anyway, the fact that you can do it from your home Wi-Fi, they don't mention any details about how they determine your primary location, but the fact that they want you to do it from your home means I'm thinking that they probably use geolocation. They probably tie it to your IP address. Um, again, listen to ATN 47 or any episode of grumpy old Ben's for a discussion of why IP address is not the same as physical location. Uh, reasons being VPNs, multiple ISPs, et cetera. I've gone over this, but Netflix points out that any device logged in from their primary location or from your primary location will just work. Um, they offer uh, an easy UI to transfer a profile to a new account. Um, they say members can still easily watch Netflix on their personal devices or log into a new TV, like at a hotel or holiday rental. Although there's no details on how easily that is. Uh, the rumors from last week, which I guess still stand because there's no details is that you're going to need to contact Netflix or, or use the app to from home to get a special code. Um, it's not, again, not very clear. They just say it, you can easily do it. So we'll find out how easily. Um, they also say members on our standard or premium plan. So not the, the base level cheapo plan can add an extra member sub account for up to two people. You don't live with this is, uh, this is sounding, I mean, starting to sound reasonable. Very nice. You, you can add somebody to your account with a profile, personalized recommendations. Cause everybody wants that, uh, and a login and password to somebody who doesn't live at your address or, or somebody who uses the other ISP at your address, I'm guessing for an extra $8 Canadian for people in Canada, $8 in New Zealand, uh, 3.99 euros in Portugal or 5.99 in Spain. Those two countries share a border. Why is it two euros different per anyway? Doesn't matter anyway. So they really, really don't want people sharing passwords anymore. And they are taking steps using a lot of geolocation to, try to prevent this. Netflix continues the, what I started back uh, almost eight months ago when I uh, started describing Netflix's death spiral. They are, they are driving users away and reducing the value of their system. Anyway, speaking of value, the other quote that I pulled out of this, we value our members and recognize that they have many entertainment choices. Yeah, no duh. <laughs> a Netflix account is intended for one household and members can choose from a range of plans with different features. Yeah. Uh, we know just how much you value your customers. You value them for about $7.99 a month.
from the more human than expected department. Google is panicking about AI. You may have heard about this because it's being discussed this very thing on lots and lots and lots of podcasts. Uh, no agenda had it on the last two episodes. Uh, grumpy old Ben's Darren and I talked about it last week. Um, Google is panicking about AI and they have good reason to, they recognize that, uh, the technology, not necessarily the current incarnation of chat GPT, which you ask a simple question and it gives you a Glenn Greenwald article. Um, but AI in general gives the promise of answering your question instead of giving you a list of page links. And that could kill the search landing page. Now, if you're a user, that's probably what you want because the, idea of being given a list of sites, which may or may not contain the answer to your question was extremely helpful in 1998 when Google came out with PageRank and revolutionized the search industry. But nowadays it feels really quaint. You're like, I, I asked a question, just give me the answer. Instead of I asked the question, now give me a list of things that might have the answer. The problem of course, is that Google makes all their money. And I'm not even kidding here something like 60 or 70% of the revenue for alphabet corporation, Google and all their various subsidiaries, more than half of that revenue comes from the search landing page and ads that run in on or run on it, which among other things is why when you go to Google, most of what you see is ads because they are making a ton of money on giving you a page full of links that you then can click on and then click bad to back to for more ad impressions and so on and so on. Well, AI is being, is threatening Google on that. And the people at Google recognize it. And uh, the leading name in AI these days is chat GPT. It's the thing that everybody is talking about. Uh, it's uh, people are going crazy about the, the, you know, the stories about people, che uh, students cheating with it, uh, about people using it to write code. Um, Bing has recently announced that they are in integrating chat GPT to do exactly what I just described to say, uh, you ask a question of Bing and Bing will give you the answer. Um, I'm not convinced it's very good yet, but they're doing it. So Google decided to respond with an AI of their own. Their AI is called Bard. Uh, I particularly like John C. Dvorak screwing up the name and calling it Barf, because that's a great name for it. But let's go with Bard for now. On the day that Bard was to be announced as the future of Google, though, uh, the company uh, um, in, in advance, a few hours in advance of their official announcement, the company ran an ad, uh, a teaser ad with a GIF of the chatbot in action. Uh, in the GIF, the user was typing in and asking Bard, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? Um, which seems like a particularly verbose question and something a nine-year-old may or may not care about, but whatever, the bot wanted to respond. So the bot went ahead in this ad and responded with several bullet points. But one of the bullet points was that the telescope took the James Webb telescope, took the very first pictures of exoplanets, which are planets outside the solar system. Um, this was a really neat fact, except that it wasn't the James Webb telescope that discovered the first exoplanet. It was the European Southern observatory back in 2004. Uh, this fact, by the way, could easily have been confirmed by the simple expediency of doing a Google search. But anyway, now bot screw ups like this are not unique. ChatGPT itself has been caught making up facts as well. Uh, it's interesting to note because um, 
there there have been a lot of of high profile examples where the AI very authoritatively says something and it turns out that something is provably false. And it, anyway, the whole thing was a massive faux pas for Google um, for both the the ad and the connected announcement. Wall Street responded by selling off Google shares uh, in pretty big numbers, resulting in a few hours a 9% stock market loss for Alphabet, which destroyed $100 billion in market value. Um, There are only about 10 companies on the face of the planet that could even survive that. And most companies do not have a hundred billion in market value. That's pretty epic. Uh, On the same day, the, by the way, the Microsoft, uh, the competitor went up 3%. So, I guess my thought about the AI is that, uh, you know, congratulations, both Bard and ChatGPT have come up with a a new feature where they spout wrong information and fabricated lies with an unreasonably high level of confidence, which is normally the kind of thing you only expect from social media posts and mainstream news, which tells me that AI is getting more and more human every single day. And finally, from the Capitalism in Action Department, Cloudflare has recognized an interesting trend. Uh, They have noticed that Twitter is uh, currently in process of a slow tumbling collapse as every single person on the left flees away from their uh, what they perceive as a far right wing takeover in the form of Elon Musk. And when all of the Twitter users are escaping to a platform that they called Mastodon, which is apparently something that that Elon can't censor and therefore it's good, which is hilarious because I've been on Mastodon for five years and uh, it, it has its own share of censorship. The one thing it doesn't have is a single central server that can censor everything. You know, the instance that I'm on, No Agenda Social, gets censored by a lot of instances out there. But anyway, Cloudflare has recognized that uh, a lot of people are fleeing and trying to move to the Fediverse, which is the Mastodon technically is uh, one piece of software and is also the name of the flagship server for that software. But the entire Fediverse is a group of interconnected decentralized network network or decentralized network of servers, all connected by the activity pub protocol. And Cloudflare has now thrown their hat into the ring. They have released something called Wildebeest. Wildebeest, in this case, spelled with two E's just to make it, you know, Silicon Valley. Wildebeest is an open source, easy to deploy activity pub and Mastodon compatible software. Now, the official Mastodon code is built using Ruby on Rails, which is great for uh, a great software for tech demos and cupcake blogs, but tends to collapse under the weight of its own massive inefficiency when trying to run a real site. Go ask anybody who runs an instance of Mastodon. Cloudflare points out that in addition to the inefficiencies, running an instance of Mastodon software requires a VPS, database, public-facing web server, configuration, yada yada, uh, a quote, a lot of scripting and technical work before you can get it up and running. Definitely not something for less technical enthusiasts. You know, the kind of stuff that dudes named Ben do all the time, but a lot of people are not dudes named Ben and would still like to go to Mastodon. Now, you can always sign on with somebody else's server, but then you're living by their rules they are now offering ActivityPub as a service, which comes with the idea you deploy in minutes. Uh, They point out Wildebeest is not a managed service. It's your instance, your data, and your code running in our cloud under your Cloudflare account. It supports ActivityPub, WebFinger, NodeInfo, WebPush, and and the Mastodon API itself. 
which admittedly I haven't heard of most of those, but I don't write the software. It is compatible with most Mastodon apps, which is actually a big thing. Um, they offer uh, several features that you would expect would have to be in all this publish, edit, boost, or delete posts. Uh, in the in the blog post, they say so, posts. No, sorry, toots. Uh, they offer the format of text and images. They say video will be coming soon. Uh, they offer the ability to search and follow accounts. They offer multiple accounts per instance, which I guess is good, uh, including profiles, which you would think again is base level feature. Anyway, as much as I distrust Cloudflare, considering that they kind of position themselves to be the invisible gatekeepers to the entire internet. God, I hate it when instead of a website, I get the, the Cloudflare would like to check your security, which of course doesn't work because they're running JavaScript. So the only way they can check my security is if I compromise my security rather than, I don't know, just give me the stupid website that I was going to. But anyway, I'm not a huge fan of Cloudflare in general, but I'm kind of excited about this project. Uh, the, the thing that turned me really was that it's open source and you get to, you get to modify it. You get to run your own software. Uh, this goes a long way to wave my distrust. They're not actually providing a, you know, here, here's a login. We'll manage everything for you. They're providing, here's a platform and we'll go ahead and pre-install this software on there. But you get to, I, it, honestly, it looks pretty tempting and, uh, I'm tempted of course, to try it out and report back, uh, either here or on grumpy old Ben's depending on, on how angry I get with it. But the only thing that'll make me try it and report back would be assuming that I get some motivation to do it, I guess. That's hard to come by. Oh, and speaking of motivation, angry thanks to, well, nobody. Not one PayPal donation came in this episode, which proves that the economy really is collapsing. And some of you may have attempted to send boosts in lieu of PayPal donations, but for reasons given, those didn't come through either. So I guess you get this one for free today. You're welcome. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we do not charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received any value from listening to this show, please send some back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you. Was it worth the cost of an extra person on your Netflix subscription? That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more Angry this Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News. With the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry. Damn it, Carolyn, you stepped on my outro.